Okay, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We'll be dealing this morning with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Now I'm going to read through verse 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible Word. So Father, this morning, I beg of You that each and every one of us have ears to hear. And that You do this very prayer. That You strengthen us with Your power by Your Holy Spirit in our inner beings so that Lord Jesus you would dwell in our hearts through our growing and abounding faith as we walk through this life so to that end help me teach this text teach what you had your Apostle Paul intend when he penned it. And may it be applied to our lives in powerful ways in the days and weeks and months to come to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Here's a question. Does your prayer life Reveal your idolatry. Does your prayer life unveil what you really worship more than God? Is it predominantly, God, please, no more pain, I don't want to suffer? Bring a financial windfall. Aunt Sally's sick again. Please heal her. In other words, if I only had these temporal, worldly blessings from you. See, my question isn't whether you pray for those. My question is, is that 99% of your prayer life? Or... As the Apostle Paul models for us here, does your prayer life reveal your yearning and your hunger for God Himself? That you would experience in your daily life intimacy. You would experience a deeper depth and width and breadth of your relational knowledge of God in order to walk with the Lord through your daily life. Do you yearn for that above all the other stuff? Is your desire for God, in other words, manifested in the way you pray, in how much you pray, Do you pray, Father, from the vast riches 
of your eternal being and your eternal glory as Holy Trinity. Cause me in my inner being where I really live in my desires. Cause me to be filled with your power through your spirit that my faith, my trust, my dependence on you would be my daily experience. That that power would cause me as a thirsty man in the desert to want to commune with you by that power again and again today. That's the question. That I want to hang over our heads as we work our way through this text. Because in this passage, Paul shows us how we should pray for each other in our local churches. And how we should therefore pray for ourselves the question is is this model prayer that we're going to start this morning is it part of your daily life so if you're there we're picking up where we left off Ephesians chapter 3 beginning with verse 14 but remember Paul started to pray Back in verse 1, and then he interrupted himself and he went into this long digression about the gospel, the mystery of Christ, which culminates in Jesus grabbing from the two peoples of the earth, Jews and Gentiles, and from out of them making one new spiritual man. Together, one family. Now he comes back, he finally picks up the prayer again. And notice, the prayer flows out of content. It flows out of theology. That's what those words mean. For this reason that he's been laying out. The gospel. For the reason that the mystery of the gospel is now revealed to you believers in writing. Thus, I, Paul, pray for you. This way. And then he lays out his prayer in verses 16 to 19. In brief, saying, I pray that God would act in His power by His Holy Spirit to cause something to happen in you subjectively and ongoingly at the very core of your inner being. So that that would cause Christ to dwell in you through your growing reliance and faith upon Him. And the purpose of that, Paul is praying, is that you would have more and more aha moments. I see it in the Scripture. Not merely in my intellect, but what my mind sees, I see with my heart in my relationship, in my intimacy, as God invades my life and changes it. That's what he goes on to say. That you would know Christ intimately. That is far beyond intellectual knowledge. It surpasses So, what we have here really is the outline of the daily Christian life. Which tells us we, we are desperate to pray and to be prayers so that we would have the power of God's Spirit causing us to grasp the truth. And thus have our faith grow. Now, what Paul has done is he's already up to this point laid out the reality that all who are not not just religious, but who have actually had the miracle of new birth happen to them. 
He's already laid out that that means you are in Christ. In Christ. And Christ is in you. Okay, that's what the words for this reason are referring to. The Gospel. And so now, Paul prays that God would make more and more real to them experientially what is true to every Christian. Positionally. You can't be removed from being in Christ if you are actually in Christ. You are justified. It will not change. Now He prays that we would grasp those truths experientially and have the righteousness and the holiness being lived out in our intimacy with God. And it's not going to happen unless people pray for you, unless you pray for them, and unless you pray for yourself. It won't. And, and don't be fooled by invalid logic that says, well, if God is sovereign, and He has ordained the beginning from the end, if, if He has elected and chosen us before the foundation of the world, and thus we're going to persevere and be glorified, then why pray? Utterly invalid logic. I mean, the simple answer to that question is that God has ordained prayer as a means to the end of glorification. Prayer to the means of the end of persevering in faith. Prayer is the means of that process that He has ordained everyone who is elect to be molded into the image of Christ. In other words, Romans 8, paraphrased. Those whom He predestined, He also called every one of them to saving faith. Every one of them. And everyone He's called through new birth to saving faith. Every single one of them He has justified. Perfectly righteous before God. Jesus' perfect righteous life is to your credit. And all your sins have been nailed to the cross. And everyone whom He has justified, He is sanctifying. He is working through and in. And thus every single one of them have a prayer life. No dropouts. They all do. They all find their desperateness for the power of God to be working in them. And it is those persons who will be glorified in the end. For all whom He has justified, He will glorify in the resurrection. Paul said in chapter 1 of Ephesians, He chose us before the foundation of the world. Absolutely. But there is not a one. There is no one who is saved in the end who does not come to saving faith. There is no one who is saved who does not persevere in saving faith to the end. There's no one who perseveres to saving faith to the end who does not pray biblical prayers. Let me just give you an example again about the logic. You see, it was impossible for Jesus to not go to the cross. You got that? There's no way He would have not done it. It could not happen. It was ordained from before the foundation of the world. Then Jesus, why pray? I mean, would you, if you were one of His disciples, and you knew that, you got your theology done, would, would you have the nerve enough to say to Jesus, look, you're going to go to the cross. It cannot not be. So why do you pray so much? We're tired of waking up every morning not knowing where you're at. Because you pray and pray. God's ordained it. 
There is no contradiction in saying it was impossible for Jesus not to go to the cross and Jesus would have never been able to go to the cross apart from prayer. Throughout his life in the Garden of Gethsemane were impossible to not happen because they were the strength of that human being who happened to be the eternal God. But they were his strength to persevere throughout his ministry and the night before his brutal torture. So, dear believer, the flow of this text shows us that we are to take the revealed Word of God, the truth, the Scripture, the Gospel, absorb it and its promises to us in this life filled with pain. And we are to take those truths and to turn them into prayers. That's this text. Do it, Father. You right here, Paul prayed for them that, that, that your power, that that's experience, your power would do something in the inner being. I need that in my life right now. My heart is wavering with worry and with stress. Do it, Lord. I've been sinning and I need to repent. Help me. Help me see and taste how good you are. For some reason, you're not good to me. Do it, Lord, by your power. That's the text. And now look at it. Paul says, in our praying, we pray to the Father. And there's an emphasis here I want to show you. He says, meaning the sovereign king of all things of the universe seen and the spiritual world unseen he is in absolute control and he's your father and that's the one we're praying to look at it verses 14 and 15 for this reason I bow my knees it's his way of saying I pray I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven, literally in the heavens, and on earth is named. Alright, so just what what are you saying? If you have an NIV, they translate it this way. That I bow my knees before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth is named. But the ESV or New American Standard Bible, they don't translate it His whole family. They translate it every family in heaven and on earth. So, which one is it? And what does He mean? Now, with the NIV, there are scholars who think we should take it that way. Meaning, well, this is Paul's way of communicating. We're praying to the Father and His whole family, the saved. Those who have died, like David and Abraham or Aunt Sally two months ago in, in, in Ephesus and gone to be with the Lord, they're in the heavenlies. There's only one church. Those who have gone before us and those who remain on earth. And that's the Father who's over all. Does that make sense? Okay. It's possible. I don't think he means that though. I think what he's saying, and let me quote from the New Testament scholar, Thielman, in his commentary he writes, Every family on earth is easy enough to understand because this every family could be family or clan or groupings of people and you see this idea of what's been going on the Gentile people the Jewish people okay. that's easy enough to understand this definition on earth the expression must refer to people groups and especially 
to Jews and Gentiles. But what could every family or grouping or clan in the heavens mean? It probably refers to the groupings of evil powers that have been mentioned elsewhere in the letter, even already and will again, like the rulers and the authorities and the powers and the dominions and the rulers in the spiritual realms. Okay. So, that, that's what I think Paul's driving at. That's the Father we pray to. He's named them all. Which means, He has authority over them all. God is the one who names every clan, every people, every family, group, on earth, and Jews and Gentiles, and every tribe and tongue, and in the spiritual or heavenly realms. He created them. All the humans... Jew and Gentile and all the angels and all the fallen angels, evil spirits and dominions. And He has demonstrated His authority over them by being the Creator and the very One who has named them. And Paul's saying, that's our Father. That's the One we pray to. He's able to exercise power and authority over all creation. Seen and unseen creation. Fear not. Pray. And then, Paul says, as we come to the Father because of Christ... He says, we come on the basis of His loving grace. Just read on. I pray to the Father, verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Paul's prayer is not that you have earned anything, that He would loan you something. Some of you in college, there's a difference between loans and grants. (laughs) You want grants. They're free gifts. Well, someone else paid for them. And Jesus paid for this. It's free, unearned blessings, he's saying, from God's treasury of divine glory. The heck is that? See, glory, of the glory of God, it refers to the very essence of God's being. As Holy Trinity. Deferring to all of His attributes of who God is. You want to sum all that up? That is God's glory. And so Paul prays that the Father would give to them and give to us of the riches of the glory of His eternal being. Let me re-say it. That He... His Holy Trinity would would give to you from that treasure chest of His being, meaning of the Father's unbounded contentment and love and awe and joy in the perfections of His being manifested in the person of His Son. And the very joy the Son has eternally been delighting in as He has seen and reflected and imbibed the glory in the face of the Father. Of that dynamic community of the only God which is personified 
in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The very joy of God Himself that the Father has in the Son, and the Son has in the Father. From the riches of His glory, He would give it to you by His power. And that's why He says, How? Through the third person. Through the personification of Jesus' love for the Father, that you would taste it more and more and more. You see, if you're a Christian, I don't mean in name, I mean if the miracle has happened, and Christ is in you, and you have been brought from death to life, Which means, I love God. The one true God. Through Jesus Christ. The only way that happened to you, hell-deserving, darkened sinner, is because the very love that God has always had for God was injected into you. By the person of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Paul says that in Galatians 4 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Crying out, Abba, Father. That is amazing. That we, God belittling, God hating, wrath deserving sinners, throughout some part of our life, have come alive by the Spirit to say that in meaning. And it didn't originate with you. It's the very Abba Father delight that the eternal Son who became a human being has been given to you. Because it's personified in the Holy Spirit. And He has been injected into you in your birth. Paul's praying now though. Don't stop! Keep from the treasures of riches of your glory, Father. To give it to them. Your power to affect them. See, He shows how crucial prayer, praying, asking is. By saying, the way to make Christ now at home in your heart this week is only by the very power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit working not from the outside but from the very inside of your inner being going outward. Let's read that again slowly. And pray... Start with verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Why? Here's here's the result He's going for. So that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's read the text. It's clear. The goal Paul has here is this. The goal is Christ, Jesus, dwelling in our hearts through faith. The way that happens is verse 16. 
that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that the goal will be reached. Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. So when He says Christ dwelling in your hearts, He cannot here be talking about that drastic one-time experience. I was outside of Christ. I was not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And then I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's called conversion to Christ. He's not talking about that. He's talking here about an ongoing experience of God's power to influence and to change our hearts, our desires, which affect our choices in life. And he's saying it happens as God responds to our asking Him to do it. It's prayer. That's what he's driving at. And the result of that prayer, Paul lets us know, is Christ Jesus dwelling in our hearts more deeply. That He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's how it happens. And that right there is not merely objective truth and theology out there. He's asking for this subjective daily experience to be happening. This is the Christian life. We're born again by the power of God and we are sustained by the power of God through experiencing the Holy Spirit working in us as we walk through this minefield of life in war. See, G- Jesus said it this way to His disciples. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever remains, dwells or binds in me, the vine, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Because apart from me, You can do nothing. Zero. We are totally dependent on Him. Which means for every one of us, you think about it, Our lack of praying shows that we forget that truth. There are no other two ways about it. It's true of every one of us to one extent or another. And when we forget that truth of utter dependence in the vine, no wonder we give in to the flesh. And we give in to depression. And we give in to stress that makes us sinfully irritable and extremely unpleasant to be around. And Paul lets us know then, through this prayer life, God works from the inside outward. Not the other way around. Notice the phrase, inner being. Or if you translate it literally, I think the New American, New King James do. Inner man, that's literally. The inner man, inner being. That's Paul's way of what? Getting at the very core of where we all really live. In that secret place of our hearts. Our longings, our desires, our thoughts. 
He uses this same phrase in 2 Corinthians, and he says it this way there. Though our outer man, self, is wasting away, yet our inner man, our inner being, is being daily renewed day by day. And so kids, when you see us people grow older and older and older, we're no older down in that inner being. We don't grow older there. Our bodies do. They waste away. But our inner being is still a child. And as believers, we're desperate to cry out, Abba, Daddy. And this shows us that the very battle against temptation for every Christian is a battle that will be won or lost, first and foremost, in an area that other people can't see. It will manifest itself. And and that's why the church is called to judge each other on those manifestations. You can't continue to live in fornication. Be a member here. You can't continue to be an adulterer. You can't continue to be an embezzler. You must repent. That's what church is called to do. But it doesn't start from the act. It starts from the inner being. Why we're so desperate to pray. To commune. Paul knows Jesus' words, and so this is how Jesus said it in Mark 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, it's from there that come evil thoughts. It's from there that comes fornication. It's from there that comes theft and murder and adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And thus they come out and defile the person. And so there are no three-step sermons to change the exterior behavior of your life. I mean, unless you just want to be a legalist. Unless you want to be a religious Pharisee. And Jesus will not dwell in your heart. This is how He spoke to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why are you hypocrites? Because you are like very clean, whitewashed tombs, which outwardly they appear beautiful, but inwardly they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy. In lawlessness. Growing in the Christian life is not merely about a moral improvement program that you can fit into. Church over here and the church over there, we got rules and okay, I can do those rules. It's not Christianity. It's about being indwelt and about being empowered by God the Holy Spirit who by the truth of the Gospel message, by the Holy Scripture getting into you is changing your and my desires which we need till the day we die because we are yet sinners. He is changing our worldview. Our perspectives, our attitudes, and our goals. Only by the Holy Spirit does that happen. And only that way, according to this text, are our hearts the kind of place 
that Jesus loves to dwell. Read it again. So that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's why we are in daily need of prayers and of praying. Praying, I just hope, is much more about the activity I didn't say only. But then the results that Aunt Sue be healed. Prayer is about being changed. And so it's clear that Christ, He dwells Already we know this. I don't want to even take the time to show you because you know it, right? If you're born again, He dwells in you. And Paul says, I pray that this happens so that He'll dwell in you. So so He can't be meaning that the Spirit now who's not in you would come into you again. So what is He driving at? What is He saying? He's got to be talking about some kind of different nuance of the of the indwelling of Christ, indwelling of the Spirit in us believers, than, than merely what happened at our conversion to Christ. And I think it goes something like this. He's praying that through the power, experientially working in you, What will be happening is this. Your heart, your walk with Christ, the way you're doing life, I'm praying that the result is this. That your heart would be the home or the kind of home that Christ is pleased to sit down and dwell in with you. He's just talking about a walk with Jesus by the Spirit. He's talking about a close, deeper, more intimate fellowship, which the rest of the prayer will really unveil. The height and the depth and the length and the breadth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. That's what he's driving at. You see, a married couple can't get more married. Wow, we've been having a bad week in our relationship. Let's go get married again. Okay, neither does a believer, neither does a believer get born again. Again. You can't be more married. But as a married person, you could start to drift in your hearts towards one another and be more snappy and attitudes set in and you know distance is happening. You're still married. And, and that couple needs to turn it around so that... My husband, my wife would again dwell in my my heart. Should be in my heart. And not just in my house. That's what he's driving at. So that Christ be in your heart. He would dwell there. You will feel it. You know he's comfortable right now. Sitting on the couch. The way Christ is dwelling at home in your heart, Paul says, is look at it. Through faith. Through trust in this glorious gospel. In all His promises. And His commands. You trust Him. It's through your daily walk. It's through your obedience that flows from your faith. These are inseparable. I mean, Jesus said it this way. If anyone loves me, he or she will. 
keep my word. And my father will love him in her. And we, the father and I, will come to him and make our home with him. So in that sense, Christ is not at home in an unrepentant, disobedient Christian. That is one who is not walking in faith. That he may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, let, let me kind of therefore give you, here's the big picture of, uh, uh, of what he is driving at in my mind. In new birth, Christ comes to dwell by the Holy Spirit, or you don't belong to Him, right? Now Paul says it in Romans 8. You don't belong to Christ. So He does, and He dwells there. That's not what we're talking about. He then goes, though, on to pray for these believers that the, the power of God would continually bring to them strength. Strength to their and our inner being. Our psychology, our thoughts, our minds. That he, would, he would strengthen it so that the result would be Christ dwelling. In other words, being influentially at home in our very inward desires through our growing faith in the Gospel, in His promises. Which is all being, according to Paul, happening or being worked in us because of the very power of God that He's praying for. That's the prayer. Or say it in short, in other words, that's sanctification. As soon as you became a Christian, you might, most of you, you don't know when that moment happened. People try to tell you it happened because you asked Jesus in your heart. It might happen three months earlier. Or it might happen four months later. You don't know when it But as soon as you were made alive to Christ, I see it. I believe it. You were justified. And that never changes. And now all who are justified are being sanctified. They're being worked on. And Paul's prayer is that prayer of being worked on for every believer. It's sanctification. Paul's prayer here is talking about the Lord Jesus coming to dwell. Meaning taking lordship over us. From the inside out. And what that means for every believer in this room is that we are called daily to welcome Jesus into every aspect of our lives. Not just the living room that's all cleaned up. And then maybe the kitchen and got the dishes done. But don't let Jesus into that back bedroom. Or that closet. To be the home where the Savior is pleased to dwell. Into every aspect of our lives so that there's no consciously known areas of our lives that we would be uncomfortable having Christ come into that room. So, how is that going for you? Is this prayer of Paul's, is that being answered in your life? Has the Lord, by the power of the Spirit, done any house cleaning in your heart 
in your lifestyle choices where He would therefore be now comfortable to dwell? Has He been doing that lately? Do you covet the answer of this prayer in Ephesians 3 for you? Now let me say, every honest, true believer feels that's not an easy answer. There are some prayers that I don't understand other believers if they never felt any trepidation in praying. Like like the one, uh, Father, whatever it takes to grow more in love with you, do it! I mean, to not feel any tension in that prayer as a finite, undone, yet sinful human being means either you don't know this God or you've never read the book of Job. Okay? So, I ask the question to us, in light of that, do you covet the answer to this prayer of Ephesians 3 in your life. Every single one of us who have, by God's unmerited grace, come to saving faith, come to love the Lord Jesus, we all know the experience, like every marriage knows the experience, of sensing distance, a diminishing intimacy, and it's not him. I, I didn't mean that to all the wives. Okay, so, it's not the Lord. <laughs> okay. yeah. well, don't do that to yourself, Joe. Gosh, why'd I do that? And that's why, by definition, the Apostle Paul. Peter, St. Augustine, I don't know, whoever you think is a super spiritual person. It doesn't matter. That's why we all, down here on earth, as the church, one at a time, are constantly desperate to pray for ourselves and for one another. That our daily walk, our daily decision making with Christ would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that our inner being of faith would grow. Which would produce a life of obedience and repentance. And repentance and obedience. And be a home where Christ is pleased to dwell. Desperate. So I wonder if you're anything like I am. This is me. I don't have strength to clean up this area of my life. I don't have within me the strength to clean up those sinful feelings in that hidden recess of my heart. I can't obey forgive that person For that, I can't obey the command in Ephesians 5 to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to a torturous, bloody death. Come on! I can't do that. I can't take control over my lusts, over my thought life. I can't. I can't. I can't. Here's the text, though. Your and my Savior knows that. Our Father has riches. 
unbounded riches from the essence of His eternal being. And He wants to give to us power through the Holy Spirit. And He wants to give it freely. So therefore, ask Him. Ask and ask and ask. And you might need to be physical when you ask if you're serious depending on your personality instead of just boring Baptist. You might need to be like Jacob in saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. Trust me, he won't be offended. He died so that you would do that. Bless me. Come to dwell, Lord Jesus, in my heart by your Spirit, overwhelmingly in my desires. Today, I need you. I am a child. I am dependent. I am undone. I do not have the strength in and of myself. Strengthen me. And here's the other thing as we go off through our week. Doesn't most of life, if you haven't learned it yet, keep learning it. It just needs to be said. The longer I live, the more I see it. It doesn't matter what you say. It just matters what you do. People say things. It's mind-boggling. I just, why, how do you continue to say things? And constantly, publicly go against them in how you decide life. At least be honest. But in other words, whether we believe this passage or we don't believe the passage, it'll be shown by our actions. In how, in if, in how much, and in what we pray. And so where I started, I beg you, I'm not against petitionary prayer. But I beg you not to use prayer as a means to your idolatry. But at its core, make God your treasure. Pray that, Father, from the riches of your Trinitarian glory, today let me have some of your love that you have for yourself, that is for your Son, in me and for the Son for you. Let me taste and see. Empower me. You know, and all these other things, i got authority on this one too. But all those other things, they will be given to you because your Father knows that you need them. And so, I close again with a text. For this reason, I, Paul, bow my knees before the Father, the Sovereign One, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray this, that according... You can almost feel Him trembling. Okay, here we go. From according, Father, to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. Oh, Father, I pray this on behalf of every soul in here. I pray for those who have not come alive to You. Do it! And they'll be alive forever. Pray it for every one of us who are in Christ our Savior. That You would do this, Father. 
You would do this again and again and again and again. Empower us by Your Spirit to be overcome with the influence of the love that Christ has for You. For this is eternal life, that we may know You and know Your Son, Jesus Christ. So do it to the glory of the riches of Your name forever. Amen.